I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Today we're doing things a little differently because we just found out some very interesting news on a case we previously covered and we wanted to share it with you all. This is our update episode for the Nicole Adamando story. We're going to cover a brief recap of the case and the outcome, but for those of you who want to listen to the episode in full, go back and listen to episode 22, in which we covered this case in full if you haven't already done so. The legal case began on the evening of September 27, 2017, when 30-year-old Christopher Grover was shot in the head by his live-in girlfriend and mother of his two young children, Nicole Adamando. The shooting occurred just hours after Child Protective Services opened an investigation against Christopher due to abuse allegations. Two young children, ages two and four at the time, were sleeping when this event happened. In their shared apartment in Poughkeepsie, New York, Nicole Adamando claimed that they had been lying on the couch after this visit from CPS. And this is when Christopher Grover threatened to kill her if she left him. When he fell asleep then, Adamando said that she attempted to leave, but Grover woke up and pointed a gun at her that he had in the couch cushions. And then he dropped the gun, she grabbed it, and basically she shot him while he lunged at her. This is her version of events. Adamando told the police that she killed Grover in response to years of torture, both sexually and physically, but she was arrested for charges of second-degree murder, first- and second-degree manslaughter, and criminal possession of a weapon charges to which she pled not guilty. Before we get to the update, let's talk a little bit about what happened during the trial. Nicole's trial took place in 2019, and the story from the prosecutors was that she was a manipulative woman who made up a story of abuse to justify killing Grover, while the defense tried to show that Nicole had been victimized for years by Grover 
And they did have proof to support these claims. You remember, Amy, um, just to be clear, there was a lot of proof. Uh, You know, for some reason, this was in dispute, but I didn't think so. I thought based on testimony from medical personnel, social services, photos, her own testimony, I thought there was a strong amount of proof to show that she was abused. I agree with you, Megan, which is why I think we were all surprised when on April 12, 2019, after just three days of deliberations, Nikki was convicted of second-degree murder and criminal possession of a weapon, which was actually legally registered to her partner. Right. Now, this was shocking to most people, us included, because statistically speaking, history favored Adamando. What I mean by that is since the 1950s, there have been at least nine other Dutchess County women who killed their partners and said it was in self-defense and not one had been convicted of murder. That's surprising. That was a fact that I wasn't aware of either. Just weeks after Nikki's conviction, the Domestic Violence Survivors Justice Act was finally signed into New York state law as part of Governor Cuomo's 2019 Women's Justice Agenda. Now, this landmark legislation gave judges the flexibility to sentence domestic violence survivors convicted of offenses related to their abuse to shorter sentences or alternatives to incarceration programs. Now, this act was intended to help restore humanity and justice to the way we treat survivors of abuse who act to protect themselves, basically survivors exactly like Nikki. Her family and friends were very hopeful at this point and believed that this new legislation would provide relief for Nikki. Because, Megan, as we talked about in episode 22, she was a perfect example of who this act was written to help. I think so. And she had a ton of support, like outpouring. I mean, more supporters than one could imagine. Nikki's attorneys applied for a reduced sentence under this act, which led to a three-day hearing where there was new evidence and testimony offered. More than 40 organizations, legislators, and activists endorsed Nikki's application, and many even wrote letters directly to the judge. However, to the surprise of many... On February 5th, 2020, the Dutchess County trial judge, Edward McLaughlin, denied Nikki's application. Now, this would have enabled a sentence of 5 to 15 years. The judge found that Nikki did not meet the criteria for sentencing under this act. Can you maybe tell our audience what the criteria, because I believe it was like a three-point criteria. Yeah, it's three-prong. One of them is that the defendant must have been the victim of domestic violence at the time of the offense. I think that was proven, right? I thought that was met. Okay, the second is that domestic violence must have been a significant contributing factor to the defendant's participation in the offense. I mean, I feel like that was met too, okay. I agree. And the final one was that the defendant's sentence under the current law would be, quote, unduly harsh. Yeah, I mean, by my assessment, and obviously I wasn't the judge in the case, she probably met all of those factors. So after losing this initial application for a sentence reduction, and I think everyone was really shocked, and probably Nikki herself, Nikki's defense team took her case to the state's appellate court, asking for relief on two issues. So one was basically on her sentencing under this new law. So they're asking, yes, can she please be one of these that qualifies? It was a mistake that she didn't qualify for a sentence reduction. And then asking for relief on the actual conviction itself, you know, arguing ineffective counsel or the normal Mm -hmm. things that one argues in an appeal. And the appellate court granted Nikki relief on her sentence reducing the original 19 years to life to a maximum of seven and a half years in prison, which was a major victory for Nikki. They rejected her appeal on the actual conviction, meaning that her conviction will still stand 
But I think everyone agrees that this was a huge win for her. Nikki will also have to serve five years of post-release supervision as well. That's really just parole supervision. Mm -hmm. So she'll have probably an officer. She'll have to abide by certain conditions of the court, you know, standard pretty much conditions of parole. And as long as she completes that successfully, she'll then be released by her sentence. And Megan, she'll From be... From her sentence, sorry. And Megan, if I understand this correctly, there's a possibility of her being released earlier than the seven and a half years. That's correct. So let me talk a little bit about that. First of all, she's serving her time at Bedford Hills Correctional Facility in New York. Some people had asked. There have been some very famous inmates mm-hmm. there. We've talked about some of them like Pamela Smart mm-hmm. and Carolyn Warmus. But yes, uh, for example, New York gives good time deductions for determinate sentences. So uh, I don't know if we've discussed this very much on other episodes, but there's determinate and indeterminate sentencing. Indeterminate sentencing was very popular all the way up to the 1970s. And really what that means is kind of an open sentence, a sentencing range. So, for example, an indeterminate sentence would be one of five to 15 years. And if you're really good, you can get out in five. And if you're really bad, you get out at 15. There's a range. It allows for rehabilitation. And it allows for some discretion. Yes, it does. Whereas a determinate sentence is a fixed sentence. And it can be, there can be a small range on it, like maybe 10 to 12 years, but usually it's a fixed number. So Nikki got a determinate sentence of seven and a half years. And in New York, that means that she's eligible if she's good and she gets good time credits to be released after serving 85% of her sentence. And that's the standard for most states that use determinate sentencing. Not for every crime. Some crimes they don't allow early release, but for most. So Nikki could possibly be up for parole in, the way I looked at it, a little under six and a half years. Even if she serves her full sentence, though, I'd like to point out that she'd still be a woman under the age of 40 at her release if she incurs no new charges. And Megan, I'm assuming she'll get time served as well. So in fact, six and a half years is only what, four? Well, she was convicted in 2019. And I'm not great at math, but let's just say that let's do the two years on that. So So she she could serve four and a half to five and a half more years. So she can be home with her children to see them grow up still. Yeah, she's not going to miss out on that, actually. I mean, she'll miss out on some formative years. But yes, it's better than the other option. So I think the big question here is not what theory is behind Nicole's actions, because we covered that in our previous episode, but was justice served by this new decision? Now, we previously felt that her sentence was too long, though, if you recall, we did not really think her version of events the night of her husband's death was entirely truthful. We didn't. We thought that there was some inconsistencies based on how she said his body was positioned. And, you know, it didn't seem that her version was entirely accurate. That being said, we both wholeheartedly believe that she was severely abused and that her actions constituted self-defense. 100%. Absolutely. And we've talked about this before, Megan. When people are in traumatic experiences, their version of events could differ. There could be inconsistencies just because of the way they're reacting to the situation. That doesn't mean they're lying. That that could absolutely be true. Or she could have just been terrified based on what just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, I mean, there was just more than ample support of mm-hmm. her claims of abuse. Yeah. So what do we think now that her sentence has been reduced? No fair. I was going to ask you first. Ah. <laughs> I mean, this is a tough question. Is justice served by this new sentence of seven and a half years? Do we agree with it? I can tell you, I, I initially, I mean, believed it was way too harsh. I supported a reduction. I initially had probably five years in my head. I don't think this is that far off. Mm -hmm. This sentence is one 
that I can live with not knowing exactly what happened that night. Because they're still a victim. We can't forget the fact that... Right. And I still don't feel comfortable that I know the exact events. So not knowing that and feeling that, you know, maybe she has some culpability. I think, you know, a sentence of five to seven years, and that's probably what she'll serve. It's probably appropriate mm-hmm. in my in my mind. You know what? We should only consider it in light of the the court rejected her appeal for the conviction itself. So the conviction is going to stand. Is this sentence then justice it, given that framework for you? Yes. The, given what the court decided, then yes, I think the sentence is legitimate. I mean, I think it's going to send a good message um, that this law can actually help relieve. And that was the purpose of it. uh, You know, relieve the effects of women who have been victimized and had, you know, felt that they had no choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very true, probably with Nikki. Yeah. And so I was glad to see. I think this was a victory. I'm I'm happy for her. I'm happy for her family. And I'm happy for her team. And And things moved quick considering. Very quickly. We have seen appeals take a long time. So uh, I think this is probably a good development, and I'm happy for all of them. Yes, and thank you all so much for joining us on this special update episode. And as always, feel free to email us or post your thoughts on this decision. And we look forward to seeing you next time on Women in Crime. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Megan. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show while gaining access to ad-free episodes, exclusive AMAs, and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through Patreon. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode include The New Yorker, Poughkeepsie Journal, and WeStandWithNikki.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.